Hello friends and countrymen, today is a somewhat chilly morning here in Thailand and uh, today we're going to be speaking about reshaping emotional patterns. So uh, what do I mean by this? Um, we, we have a lot of words in our language of like how events shape us or how one is shaped over time, like some, somewhat using a metaphor but also I'm going to make some direct analogies to fitness and neuroplasticity so uh, in case you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, very briefly, uh, something is plastic when it can be reshaped, like a physical plastic piece. Um, if, if you remold the piece of plastic into a new shape, uh, it stays that shape. Like that's, what, that's part of why we call plastic plastic, as opposed to something being elastic where if you think of a rubber band or something, an elastic band, if you try to reshape it, it, it at least tries to come back to its original form. Something's plastic, if it stays the shape it is, something is elastic if it changes. And <clears throat> I'm sure you've heard the term neuroplasticity before. What we're referring to in neuroplasticity is um, can you, can, if you try to change something in your brain, not that I know, not that I'm an expert on neurology, but if you try to change something in your nervous system, does it stay that way or does it, is it more elastic and tries to go back to us? Why does this matter? For our purposes of developing ourselves, if you have different emotional patterns, whether, I mean, all of us do, right? If you sabotage yourself um, in certain situations or even really simple things like social things, like you see someone you're attracted to and your first response is to look away as opposed to saying hello and smiling, you have an emotional pattern. And if you're trying to do the opposite, if like next, next attractive person I see, I'm gonna smile and say hello, but I keep doing this thing, it's because you're, we could say that your psyche has a certain shape where it goes into this other shape of, let's say, cowering away as opposed to doing the thing you intend on. So much of personal development is simply trying to reshape your emotional patterns to respond in different ways. And um, today we're going to go into different uh, definitions, of course, some taking from Jungian psychology uh, as, as usual. We're also going to reference um, Peter Levine's work on trauma because this is very directly related. I do want to demystify some, or I, I don't, I don't want to use the word trauma in a, I'm going to be very clear in the way I use trauma, we'll get into that. I have some stories that uh, directly relate to what we're talking about. Some of them are kind of metaphoric, some of them I think are direct experiences. And of course we're going to end with principles that are actionable to actually reshape your emotional patterns. I'm going to take a sip of water, because it's right up the stairs, and we're going to jump in. <clears throat> um, first, real quick, some announcements. Um, Actually, this is a personal announcement. Uh, if, you, if you follow this stuff, you know that um, my girlfriend and I and our housemates and a little farmhouse here in Thailand have been fostering some puppies. Um, the first of nine was adopted and it was like a bittersweet moment because we wanted to get them all adopted. Um, the puppy Sheba found a really awesome home. Happy for her. I do miss her. It makes me sad if you follow me on Instagram. She's been in a couple of my Instagram photos. but. The reason why I bring her up, other than just like talking about myself, um, is uh, she had an interesting story as a puppy, as far as we know. So, uh, as far as we know, Sheba the puppy was the only one of her litter to survive. Um, it seems like her, her mother was killed, her other litter mates did not survive, but she was discovered in a village in northern Thailand by this Canadian backpacker lady who uh, found this puppy, she was like this big when, um, when she was found by this woman. Um, she was being put on top of like, a, these Thai kids were basically torturing the, the animal. They're putting her on high places and like, uh, from what we heard, they were like um, trying to burn her whiskers and obviously a tiny puppy this big on a high place is a terrifying experience. 
one would say it's a traumatic experience. One could argue it's a traumatic experience. And what was really funny, or I don't know if funny is the right word, but what was really interesting is that when she came to us, for some, I mean, she pretty quickly realized that she was actually safe, where we're, you know, we weren't torturing her or anything. But it was really interesting, the first day or so when she was here, she always wanted to be on top of things. Like, this little puppy wanted to get on top of laundry baskets, she wanted to get on top of anything where she could be on top of something, almost like a goat, she wanted to be on top of it. It was really bizarre, actually, when you think about how um, what some of her, she's only a few weeks old, so many of her experiences were extremely painful experiences, probably extremely terrifying experiences, where she was put on top of, uh, like, she had this thing of heights, and for some reason, when she felt safe, she wanted to revisit that thing. Some would say she had an emotional pattern that had her, even though it was a terrifying experience, one would assume for a puppy, she wanted to keep going to that experience. And we're going to go into why this might happen, because it's, it, what, what I find is interesting is that this is something we see in humans a lot, like we tend to unconsciously want to revisit our traumas, our relationship patterns, even like really scary events that happen to us where we have a tendency to want to revisit them. Even if we like consciously think, oh, I don't want to do that again, we, we kind of put ourselves in those situations very often. We see this in, you see this in relationship counseling all the time where someone will recreate a thing that was pretty bad that happened to them for some reason or her. Um, I'm going to why, why this is. Um, so it's, it's, it's very interesting, and we're, we're going we're gonna to dig into this. What I find is, is fascinating is that even an animal, even a dog who doesn't have higher order uh, you know, abilities to think, still goes into a similar pattern because of, as far as our emotional system, we're not that different than dogs. The paleomammalian brain is so-called because most mammals have something similar, um, which is responsible for our emotions. So we're going to talk about that. Um, uh, other quick announcements, um, tomorrow or, or Wednesday, um, I have a podcast coming out with one of my old mentors, Christina Berkeley. Uh, she's a coach. Uh, she also uh, was in the same cult I was in way back in the day. And I'm bringing her up because I know a lot of you guys who watch the show or follow the podcast, however, have aspirations to become coaches. So I highly recommend this episode. It comes out on Wednesday, U.S. time. Um, and I think that's actually, and it's also related to today's topic. I think it's a natural progression. Um, going a little tangent here because I mean, I see this a lot. Like a lot of my clients say they want to become coaches or writers and a lot of them do. And it's, I, I think it's a totally natural way. It actually relates to, I think, uh, an unconscious impulse many of us have to heal our wounds or develop as a person. I mean, the simple adage is you learn by teaching, but also, I mean, if you think of, obviously, if you're watching this, you're probably into personal development. And um, one of, most of us get into personal development because we have some inadequacy feeling. Like we've, we have experienced maybe a traumatic event, maybe a, a breakup, a divorce, uh, you get shit on, you, you lose your job, something terrible happens to you, um, you go broke, and like, or like, you just, uh, you don't, you don't um, rise to meet a certain challenge in your life or some, some, in some way you fail or see yourself as down or something like that. Or that might happen over a long period of time, which is another way traumas develop. Like, you realize that your entire life people have shat on you or you've never gone after what you wanted or you've always played small or something like that. You have some realization, usually to do with pain or hurt. You decide you want to get into personal development, whether that's through um, something material, like you're trying to get some outcomes like dating results or money results or something like that, or something more immaterial like you want to um, find your meaning in life or you know, something more spiritual, like, you know, discover who you are or find your purpose in the world or how you fit in to heal your spiritual maladies or whatever. Most of us enter personal development in some form, maybe all forms together, both 
both getting laid and finding God or enlightenment. They're not that different sometimes, depending on how you go about it. Um, many of us will, will start to like heal ourselves or, or fix the inadequacy or, or learn some things and notice the growth. And it's a very natural thing. It's like when you experience a gain in yourself, you want to talk about it. It's actually, this is actually referencing one of the principles we'll talk about later in this episode. It's totally natural to want to to share it. I mean, it's actually one of the ways we solidify this new pattern in our in our psyche is by helping someone else achieve the same thing. Um, and uh, so, and in today's age, if you're helping people develop themselves, uh, coach, writer, teacher, something, it is. It also is. Uh, I wouldn't say it's an easy career to break into, but it is an available career. It's kind of a normal career in 2020, whereas it wasn't a few decades ago. Um, so. If you're one of those people who want to make a career out of this, I highly recommend this podcast coming out soon. Um, it is not beginner level stuff, but if you check out her work, Christina Berkeley, um, you can find. <coughs> excuse me. You can find other things. So I'm going to take a. The air in Thailand has been really bad, <clears throat> and I've been uh, having a perpetually sore throat lately. But neither here nor there. So um, any other final announcements? Um, Two weeks ago, you probably, if you, if you caught the episode two weeks ago, I shared how I redid my site. So if you have any of my courses, the Archetype class or the Arouse Control course, you should have gotten an automated email with a new login for the new platform. The old login is going to be um, unavailable. And if you're not in any of my courses, if you join my email list now, you will get the same login to the back end. Obviously, the paid courses will be locked, but I have many years of archived footage interviews I've done. I'm going to put up uh, rec audio recordings of all my articles. They'll be all available for free. Just put in your email and join the members area. Um, you can see some interviews. I mean, I'm still uploading this like archives of footage, but you can see some of uh, my very old interviews where I'm super uncomfortable and awkward and I have, a, I go through a series of weird haircuts over the years. So I'm going to argue I still have a weird haircut. We'll see how I feel later. And um, yeah, last, last bit. We are going to be referencing archetypes. Um, so if you are into the, if you want to learn more about the masculine archetype, you can check that out at ruano.com/archetype. Okay, jumping in. So uh, we spoke about uh, you know defining what I mean about by shapes and emotional patterns. And I do want to say some one thing about traumas because <clears throat> I briefly mentioned it with the puppy. But a lot of times when we use the word trauma or people use the word trauma, there's an assumption that we're talking about like, oh, this terrible event happened and now you're fucked up the rest of your life. I mean, there are situations where that happens. Um, you know, a violent experience you experienced when you were young, uh, a, uh, you know, anything, but, you know, I, I, sexual molestation is, is brought up very often when we talk about traumas and especially in, in today's times with the discussions we have in our culture. Um, <clears throat> But very often, like it doesn't have to be like, an acute event. It could be something that happens over time. Like I was speaking with uh, a guy. I it was last week actually. Who's basically he has a self sabotage. Like this guy has aspirations actually to become a coach, and he's very confident in my opinion. And he's actually someone I think I'm going to endorse in the near future because he's very sharp. Like he's very intuitive. He's very empathic. He has many of the skills and the abilities we're going to speak about in reshaping emotional patterns. But that's only half of it. And that's what I told him. I mean, half of being a good coach is those skills. There's certain competencies in any profession. But another really important half, and maybe the more important half, is having um, your own emotional patterns done in a way, or like a, set in a way that someone can sync up to you. Um, and for whatever reason, not for whatever reason, he has a history of like not an acute trauma, but 
throughout his life, I, you know, not to go too deep into it, but his, um, <clears throat> when he was young, anytime he wanted something, he would hear no from a parent or authority figure. He would hear over and over and over again. So this kind of shaped him in a way that he just, anytime he comes close to something that he wants and he's able to get, he somehow like has an unconscious and voluntary uh, emotional pattern that drives his action to self-sabotage. <clears throat> So this is also equally, not to say one is better or worse, but this is also something to reshape. And like when we're talking about wanting to change our behaviors, uh, especially when it comes to involuntary things like emotional intimate interaction or creative expression, uh, these, these are the things that affect us. Um, so anything else I want to say? Oh, and, and so one thing on, on plasticity, um, when we are, when we're born, we are the most plastic of all. Uh, not to say that we are a blank slate. In fact, there's a lot of evidence that we're not blank slates. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, this is these are some of my views, but I think there's a lot of evidence that even when you're born, you have certain things that are inherently you that are not conditioned into you. And you know, to take a Jungian perspective, basically what individuation is like, you know, expressing your most authentic self is trying to shape your your emotional patterns to actually be in line to who you who you were pre-birth. I mean, it's kind of a spiritual way of looking at it, but we are born with certain tendencies. Like, you know, uh, it's one thing that actually I dig into in the archetype challenge is like helping, um, helping men discover what is natural to you that didn't come from your environmental conditioning. Maybe you have a tendency to like a certain type of food, like maybe you love Italian food because you have Italian parents and that's what you, uh, that's what you grew up eating and that's your preference and that's not necessarily inherent to you, but maybe you have a, a random interest in painting and like there's nothing in your upbringing when you were a child that would make you want to be into painting but that's like inherent to you and like I would say I would argue that that is somehow related to your individuated self that you want to if you have this random interest in painting that's something you should explore because for whatever reason that was inherent to you independent of your conditioning and then a lot of like you know finding our most empowered self is a, very often breaking free of the collective mold that you're in or the environment that you're in and finding that finding the natural thing. So when we're born, we're kind of like this uh, we're kind of like this soup for the most part. We have like maybe like a a natural shape inside, but a lot of like who we are is very formless. We grew up, we go through puberty, we start to take a, a bigger shape, and then when we're an adult, uh, we find an actual shape to our psyche, your emotional patterns. But maybe you've developed to become a, uh, a trapezoid because your environment, like, you know, forced you to become a trapezoid, but really you want to be a rhombus. Maybe inherently when you were a child, but pre-birth, you were more rhombus shaped in your psyche. And like, how do you develop that? So I started thinking about like, I started thinking about the word shape. I mean, it's kind of a random aside, but when I'm tripping or I'm really high, I, I start to notice like the shape of my body more of like, oh, I don't like want to be in this shape or, and there might be some like unconscious reason for that. It might just be, be, be being silly, but I have noticed in, um, in my jujitsu practice, I've been doing this for a couple years. Um, and I actually noticed this in wrestling when I was younger. Uh, in grappling martial arts, they can be very complex. There's a lot of things going on. Most pe uh, grappling isn't really intuitive. Like punching is a little more intuitive. Like if you put boxing gloves on a kid, he might not have good form in punching. But if he keeps hitting a bag, he'll start to notice. Like okay, like when I don't flare my elbow, uh, I can actually produce more force against the bag, and they'll kind of get into like grappling. Simply because grappling is so complex, you're not going to see this very often. And most people. Most people, when they do jujitsu the first time, 
the hardest part is just realizing like what position am I in? Like the other person, if they're more experienced, will be putting you in all these situations and like it's not intuitive what to do. And even if you learn how to do something in a certain situation, like escape from someone on your back, there's all these steps and it's very hard to remember like, okay, I need to transfer my weight to the weak side and then get the, my arm out and get my shoulders to the mat. It's like, it's very hard to do that in practice. One thing that, and again, I'm not an expert on this, but I have been doing this a while and I've wrestled for a while. Like one thing that's helped me in grappling, like learn different moves and develop competence. And like in the recent months, I think my, my jujitsu game has accelerated because of this is that I would remember what shape my body, physical shape, I'm not you know, making a metaphor here, but like physically what shape should my body be in in a given situation. So like if someone's behind me, I should be in this shape, you know, like, you know, defending, whatever. Like I don't think about like step one, step two, that's very like taxing on the brain and you can't do that very quickly, but it's not that hard or it's a lot easier to remember like, okay, I meant to be in this shape or, you know, if I'm against someone, I need to have my weight in this shape. And like by remembering the shapes, at least I've noticed that in the, in the random chaos of a, of a grappling sparring match or whatever, when I'm close to a situation that, that fits with the shape I'm most, uh, I know I'm supposed to be in, I can like find the shape quickly and like remember what to do like intuitively more. I'd say this is very similar to developing ourselves as, uh, as, as people when it comes to our emotional patterns of like how we respond to a social situation or how we respond to a stressful performance situation. It's like remembering the shapes and I, I'm gonna, <clears throat> I know that's a little abstract, but I'm, I'm going I'm to ground us in a second. Um, so I actually had a client, uh, I, ha I have this client who actually came out to Thailand and we've been working in person together, which has been great. It's fun to actually meet people. I do a lot of this stuff uh, through the internet. Um, but uh, he's had a lot of growth recently um, in dating and his life and his self-concept and all that. But he had this like uh, very beneficial experience, like, you know, like I guess they would call it a love affair with a woman that gave him a lot of like positive feedback, or like a lot of feedback, like true feedback of how he is, how he should be, things like certain principles. And one thing he recognized in himself is that he kind of had this OCD tendency that was very unattractive to, to women. And uh, one way it expressed itself was like he was very anal about bugs, which is, if you live in, if you, if you live in Thailand, that's like, it's going to come up a lot because there's bugs everywhere, there's mosquitoes, there's ants everywhere. And we were talking about this, it was something you wanted to change. And uh, funny enough, I had this little uh, home improvement project um, where, I mean, a bit of a side story, I got, I got locked out of my house. My girlfriend and I got locked out of the house. Um, but we have these trees and one of the trees like leans over our balcony. And so I climbed the tree to get through the balcony to like let us in. But I, I, I didn't realize that our roof was made of like this very delicate asbestos tiling. which is not healthy, but it's also, you know, it's also not sturdy. So as soon as it stepped on my foot went right through the roof and like we've had this hole in the roof and I had to fix it. Luckily for us, our landlord left like this huge stack of asbestos tiles in, in, the, in the backyard. So all I had to do was like pretty much patch it up with more tiles. The thing was though, as soon as I picked it up is that there were like, I don't know how many years it's been there. There were the, it was basically the asbestos tiles. It was like almost like a beehive infested with multiple ant colonies. Like as soon as I picked it up, like my arms were swarmed with like these big red ants. It was very gross and uncomfortable. Um, and you know, it's even uncomfortable for me. I don't necessarily have OCD around bugs or, and I, and yeah. Um, so I, I told, I told my client, like this is a totally optional coaching exercise. Um, but I have an opportunity where we can work on this emotional pattern you have, but together, like instead of having this 
knee-jerk reaction to a mosquito or I mean and again it's like the issue here wasn't like his reaction to bugs necessarily it was that he had a knee-jerk reaction of like being particular about certain comforts that um, especially if you live not in the first world it's uh, it will come up a lot and like it kind of just displayed a certain level of ungroundedness which, and like that was what was on uh, that was what was on an attractive not the not his reaction to bugs obviously no one really likes bugs um, so I told him like right, is this an opportunity for us to work through it together. And the thing is, there's, there's two principles that we're gonna get to, uh, I'm gonna get to right now in this story, um, with when it comes to reshaping uh, emotional patterns. One is having initiative and willingness. So like, this is something that actually comes up in like arousal control and like sexual dysfunctions, that like psychogenic sexual dysfunctions that a lot of men have, is that when you take a passive role, and I actually I think this is more true for, for men in male biology, uh, because of certain things that have to do with testosterone, um, but like when a, a guy or really anybody takes a passive, um, uh, passive stance towards a stimulus, passive stance towards uh, some situation, they're more likely to feel like a victim. I mean, victims are, are passive typically, right? Like, uh, I'm going to talk about this in, in, a, in a later episode about hormones and status, but I'll, I'll reference this now. Like, uh, this actually came from um, Pavel Sasulin's most recent book on fitness. He's the kettlebell guy. I'll talk about this more in, in probably next week, but uh, it's basically there's a very different hormone profile between predators and prey. Um, there's a different like ratio of adrenaline to noradrenaline, um, and and basically by, by looking at someone's even even two animals in the same species, you can see like their predator versus prey tendencies based on their their hormonal response. I think that's the direct experience in why. Uh, a lot of guys will get like a psychogenic sexual dysfunction. Like they get in their head, they get anxious, they feel low status, and suddenly they can't get it up, or they 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 come immediately, or something like that. This happens to men often. Um, anyway, we take a passive stance towards a stimulus. Like something happens to you, or you perceive that something's happening to you. It's very hard to feel empowered when you're like sitting back and letting something happen to you, as opposed to taking the initiative. If you put yourself in a situation, even something as basic as like approaching women like if you are actively stepping into tension like even though I'm nervous even though I'm bumbling even though I'm like weird and I don't say the right thing and I'm accidentally you know embarrassing myself just the act of uh, initiating the the situation is training your psyche to reshape itself as opposed to viewing yourself as a victim now you're the active party which is why even some of the creepiest pickup guys and, and I mean not to say I mean I've, I've many views on pickup but like there's a lot of guys who people would consider like, oh, that they're not attractive, or, but they have like this like confidence that even if all the pickup techniques they're doing are like bullshit or like they only work in certain situations or whatever, just the fact of initiating and initiating and initiating does train the psyche to, uh, to view yourself as like the active party in the situation as opposed to the passive party. So in this situation with my client and like doing, like actually I was actually gonna have him help me move the asbestos tiles Knowing that ants were going to crawl up on us, like there's the, the asbestos tiles were covered in this multiple ant colonies. I think there were black ants, there were red ants. Like we were actually going to do something willingly to have these ants attack us or like you know crawl all over us, which is a really weird situation. I mean, I have no idea what it's like for someone actually with OCD, but even for me, like it's a very strange sensation to like all of a sudden have like. 500 little things crawling on you. It's like not particularly pleasant. It's not painful either But like if you have a perception this is terrible or that you're a victim to it I can see how it could create a major stress response So here's the first thing we were actively now entering the situation to allow this thing to happen to us <clears throat> The second thing the second principle 
that allows one to reshape, especially when it comes to traumatic events, is doing it with someone. So <clears throat> this is a little bit more of a spiritual view um, than maybe a psychological one, or I don't know, you can decide on what the, what the difference between those two, uh, those two lenses are, but um, <clears throat> this is mine. So uh, I've spoken about subjective realities and collective realities before. So this, this is, a, you know, I, I see a simplification, but, you know, uh, as one goes through time, uh, I'll go this way. I know that video's flipped if you're watching the video, but uh, someone goes through time, they experience different stimuluses, they have highs, they have lows, they whatever, right? In a, in a certain situation, obviously everyone's different, but if you're experiencing the same thing over time, maybe another person doesn't go as high, maybe they have a different thing, but they basically experience the same if, you're, if two people are experiencing, or a group of people are experiencing the same stimuli, they're probably having a similar experience. And we, we naturally do this when we, like, <clears throat> if you feel cold, it, it's, it's natural to ask someone, oh, do you feel cold? Or like, oh yeah, or when we, when we talk about things like temperature, or like, uh, we might be like, oh, it's cold, right? Cold is a subjective experience, but if the temperature is a certain, certain temperature, and two people are, are both human beings, they probably experience temperature in a similar way, right? Temperature is not very subjective, but it's slightly subjective. People might find certain things funny or not. This is something that you know, see this in comedy clubs a lot. If there's only a few people in the audience, it's very awkward for everyone, right? Because it's a lot easier to laugh when everyone else is laughing. Like we naturally, you know, I talked about this in the collective reality and the collective consciousness episode. Like we naturally want to be on the same page with other people. There's pros and cons to it. You have to watch out for like this. This is one of the ways people are easily brainwashed, but it's also a natural thing. We're social animals. We want to be in the same reality as people or roughly corresponding realities. <clears throat> when someone experiences trauma, whether it's an acute trauma or it's uh, like a trauma over time that builds up, it's like the same person is in this group. He's experiencing the same thing, but maybe the high doesn't give him and then like he falls off, right? So over time, when this person is here, and they're experiencing the same stimulus in time as, as the rest of the group, they have a very different response. <clears throat> Excuse me. It, it's, it's very terrifying. It's like, it's uh, very isolating. It's like, it's one of those things that feel like extremely terrible. Even in 12-step programs, they talk about this, like one of the things that cause addiction or cause a spiritual malady is this experience of isolation or feeling like you're separate. A lot of, uh, a lot of these programs, 12-step, whatever, any, any program, Excuse me, got a lot of hiccups, burps today. Um, is try to get people to <clears throat> get back on the same reality with other people, feel connected to the group so they don't feel alone. Because feeling alone, feeling alone in your reality is one of the most terrifying human experiences. Like, we don't think of it that, that often, because most of us don't think of reality as subjective, but if you're the only person in the world who perceives a certain thing, if you're the, if the entire world, I'm just using an example, if the entire world thinks Donald Trump is the most amazing person, you're the only one who sees like, oh, like, what are you talking about, he's crazy, that's a really terrifying experience. In fact, almost every horror movie, even like children's horror movies, like, like Goosebumps stories, if you remember Goosebumps, Shout out to the 90s. Um, almost all of those plot lines were like a kid sees, like discovers the monster by himself and nobody believes him or nobody believes her. It's like the most terrifying experience for most of us to be in a reality by ourselves. When, when everyone's having a good time at a party and you're the only person who can't seem to like get his enthusiasm up or you're, you're uh, if, like, that is one of those things that feel terrible. When we, one of the reasons why it's so important to talk about your, your emotional issues or, or traumas is that when you can experience, like let's say you, you know, you had this experience, everyone else is having a good time and 
January 26, 2020, but you're not, or whatever, in, in that situation, but you can talk about it with someone, or you can, you can really let someone empathize with you, give someone the chance, or someone does empathize with you, some will use a different color, for this benevolent person, or this person who's like listening, and like they're experiencing this with you, even if they're not there, they can like start to feel the things with you. And then one of the magics, magics, one of the beautiful things about being human is that when you feel it together, you can kind of sync up because by not feeling alone, you can shift. Like I've told this story with like, when it comes to like my psychogenic sexual healing stuff, one of the biggest things that helped me was simply like just talking about it. There was a, a shame component to that by like, again, with the initiative of willingly bringing up this thing that was scary for me, kind of took away the victim feeling from it. But also being able to feel what I was feeling with someone, not that they were feeling exactly what I was feeling, but letting someone know what I felt and letting them empathize with me had me not feel alone and allowed me to get back on, get, get away from this feeling of isolation and feel with someone. So. And, and uh, so to complete the story with uh, my client, we, we both went into this together. We both willingly recovered an ants together and being in it together actually made it not that big a deal. Like, whereas I'm sure if he had to do that by himself, he would have freaked out probably. Um, by doing it together, we were in it together. We were experiencing the same negative stimulus together and it made it not that big a deal. So when it came time to get the ants off of us, we just got the ants off of us and that was the end of it. Um, there's one thing, like, uh, so Peter Levine, uh, who wrote the book Waking the Tiger, uh, speaks about this when it comes to trauma. Um, humans are the only animal that do not deactivate their trauma. So his, his analogy with trauma is, um, he uses the throwing the ball analogy. You may have heard this before. If not, I'm about to explain it. So this whole thing of what trauma is, is like when, you're, when, you, when your body has an intention of doing something, of doing a certain action, like say throwing a ball, um, it activates to throw the ball, and what a trauma is, is something interrupts it. In an emotional situation, something happens, it throws it off, and then you can't complete the throw of the ball. So now your nervous system is like stuck in like about to throw the ball. And because it's active over years and years, that can cause a lot of stress, a lot of energy is spent in this like half-thrown position. What he says, like we shows in animals, and there's actually a YouTube video um, you can see, uh, I think if you just search Peter Levine waking the tiger, I think it was a bear. Um, they, they sh uh, a, a bear was hit by a, a dart or something, something that was traumatic, like it stopped in his tracks, and the bear would shudder. The bear shuddered and shaked for like 30 seconds to deactivate all of the, the uh, to like let go, to complete the, the activation of all the, what would be trauma, and he shook and shook and shook and shook and spaz and spaz, and then once it was all out of his system, it got up and just lived its life, right? Humans are the only animals that don't shudder and shake and let the, the trauma come out of them, and that's why a lot of trauma ther trauma release therapies involve screaming and yelling and activating your body and moving and um and actually this is a, another thing i omar pani references this um my my boy he's a ds teacher he'll be on the podcast again soon um he's saying like one of the way one of the reasons why a lot of people women especially but it's true for anyone a lot of people experience um emotional release when they say i uh, get spanked or something and this is this is his analogy but like let's say a woman has um, some like some emotional trauma that is like an eight out of ten on the emotional scale, and consciously or like you know they won't willingly go to that emotional eight to re-experience that because it's too scary or that it's repressed or something. But they if they get spanked 
um, they might get spanked to a level of physical pain that's in 8 of 10. And because sensation and emotion are different forms of the same thing, by getting spanked to a level 8 sensation, because they will allow themselves to get spanked, if they willingly allow themselves to get spanked to a level 8, it will also activate the emotions at that level, and they might have an emotional release about something that has nothing to do with spanking, but because they got to that level of pain willingly, they were allowed to reaccess that emotional pain and release it. Both principles are in effect. They willingly go to that situation, and they're doing it with a person in connection consensually, which allows them to reclaim their power from the situation. So it works with uh, traumas via spanking, getting over bug OCD, whatever. Um, and actually, this is one thing I, when my girlfriend and I, actually before we even got together, we, we did MDMA together. And this is one of the things I think that connected us very deeply, very quickly. And we went through, we basically told each other like different parts of our life story. I mean, we call it traumas or parts of our past or why we think we're the way we are. And we're on MDMA, so like we're very empathic in that moment. Um, but. There was something, and it was like something that was very palpable in the experience of sharing this with each other. Is like, given given the the drug induced state, we're able to really empathize with each other. And like when she would tell me about a situation from her childhood, like I could feel it with her too. Like I was like on this line with her when I told her something from my childhood. I could I could feel that she could feel that she was like re-experiencing this emotion together. And by not feeling alone, uh, we could I. Uh, get over it and release it and not have that pattern run our life over and over again because especially in relationships and especially in the way we interact with people, whether intimate relationships or not, so much of our bad behavior is a response to other people. Like very simply, I mean, like I, I speak of the origin of pain a lot. Like if someone's being a dick to you and there's no, like in your mind, there's no reason to be, for them to be a dick to you. Like they, they're acting out of proportion or like they're blaming you for something that has nothing to do with you. A natural, uh, I shouldn't say natural, but a tendency most people have, or a typical response, is to get defensive and attack back, which only justifies their anger and they attack back at you. This is a typical thing. This is, you know, the the cause of many relationship breakdowns or or friendship pains or roommate blowups or whatever. Um, of course, but the grounded response is to be able to react and not have the emotional pattern of punching back of being like, oh, okay, this is not about me. This is a situation that I don't have to blame them back for. I'm just going to take a deep breath and like recognize this and respond in a softer way, which almost always will allow the other person to be soft and like prevent, you know, this, this basic thing is why a lot of relationships break down. And, um, you know, I was, uh, in regards to, oh, I want to say one more thing about uh, initiating, going back and initiating. So <clears throat> it's something I saw a lot when I was in a stage of life where uh, I was working on approaching women, like, uh, and it's, I think it comes up a lot. It actually came up, comes up uh, with some of my clients who are in marriages, actually, where <clears throat> they recognize that maybe over a period of years they've done the wrong thing. They had an emotional pattern to become defensive, and like their wife or their girlfriend or, or would say or do something that was unpleasant. And instead of like having compassion, recognizing she's just working out something, they would get defensive and then say something mean back, which would make her more resentful. And then they could go back and forth and like, and then after a while they stop having sex, they stop liking each other. It causes this, uh, this split, right? I have some clients in relationships and marriages who, who recognize like, oh, I've done this wrong thing <clears throat> over a period of years. I have this tendency, this emotional pattern that's ingrained into me. Anytime I'm faced with, uh, 
a hostile situation with my wife, I, I do this wrong thing. I know it's wrong, but in the moment I can't think of it. In the moment I go the wrong thing. Just like with like approaching a woman, in the moment I, I know I want to say hello, but I have this tendency where I always turn away or I pretend to not notice. Like this happens all the time. How do I fix it? And actually I learned this from like one of my first dating coaches, you know, and he was, he was kind of a hard ass, which is what I was drawn to about him back then. But um, I don't necessarily think this is the best way to go about growing, but uh, he would say like, if you knew you were supposed to say hello, if you knew you were supposed to approach and you didn't, you have to run back and, 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 and talk to her. And he could even say, I, I, something, like he would have me, or he would suggest and I would do it, like he would have me run after someone I should have talked to two minutes ago, catch up to her out of breath and say something along the lines of like, hey, I, I saw you earlier, I meant to say hello, but I chickened out and hello, right? <clears throat> didn't always like work in the sense of like getting a number. I mean, actually it did work sometimes because in that state I was very vulnerable and very real and I think there was something about running and like having my body activated that kind of got me out of my head so I could actually be real for a second. Um, but the real benefit from that was that by going back, I mean obviously it's, it's super awkward to run after someone or super like, it's more painful to, to go after someone and say I met, I chickened out earlier, now I'm talking to you now. But by taking that initiative, the next time, if you do that a couple times, the next time you see someone in that same situation where you mean, it's like something in your subconscious is like, if I don't do this now, I, it's like almost like your, your conscious is telling your unconscious, if you don't let us go approach now, I'm gonna make this more painful later, so you better say hello now. And like something in that forces you to, I, I think this is what helped me like actually say hello. And I, I, it's, I mean, a little embarrassing. I actually found that sometimes I kind of enjoyed the run after back because it was just, I mean, I don't know, it was, it was sometimes fun uh, to, to be out of breath and like just be real. It's almost like an acting exercise. Sometimes in acting classes, they'll get you like physically exhausted so you can just be real with your emotions. Anyway. Um, same thing in, in you know what I recommend to my my married clients if you if you just had if your wife just said something and you had uh, an extreme negative response because of your emotional patterns I tell the guys like even if you even if you realized ten minutes later an hour later the next day that you actually did the wrong thing back there go back to the situation it's gonna be awkward it might be might even be a little humiliating in the sense of forcing you to be humble and go back and be like hey I realized I did the wrong thing back there I didn't mean to do that I'm sorry here's what I meant to do it's clunky it's awkward but the next time he's in a situation like if he does if he actually does that over times and I've seen this in many people if you actually do that the next time that you're in a situation like that and you have the tendency to do the wrong thing, to, to have the negative reaction, to get defensive, to get butt hurt or whatever, you'll remember that last time you forced yourself in a worse situation and you're like, okay, I might as well actually respond with compassion or whatever the right, the right um, or the preferred uh, response is. Um, all right, let's see. Did I miss anything? Talk about ants. Oh yeah, one thing I want to speak about uh, with the whole trauma thing, the subjective reality, and so like, there's um, I, I was hesitant to use the word trauma in this episode because trauma, I think a lot of people in personal development throw it out a little bit too too um, uh, too liberally, and um, and uh, you know, and obviously I don't want to necessarily combine you having a negative emotional pattern with like someone who's like traumatized by an extreme violent event. But I do think it is worth mentioning that um, just because someone experiences uh, 
a painful event doesn't mean you're automatically traumatized. Like trauma is a response to something, is a stuckness. It happens. It's it's not you know it's something that can and should be addressed, but it's not an automatic response. And I think this is part of like the victim mentality that. I mean, I don't want to be political, but certain parts of our culture, especially in personal development, like, oh, anytime anything bad happens to anyone, they're a victim. That's, that's not the case because there's actually a lot of evidence. Uh, I mean, this has been documented in when it comes to PTSD that people who are victims, like, like one book that I reference, uh, when it, one, the book that actually made me not go into the Marines um, was, is a book called On Killing by... Uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Grossman. He was an Army Ranger. He did all these. He's also a psychologist. He did all these studies and collated all this uh, uh, this information on, on PTSD. And he was saying that, contrary to belief, people who experience um, constant traumatic—I mean, traumatic traumatic's not the right word—constant uh, stressful event don't don't necessarily have PTSD. Like like uh, one thing he referenced was the London bombings when the Nazis were bombing London. There are almost no um, uh, recorded instances of PTSD. Now, part of that might be that PTSD wasn't a thing that people clinically thought about back then. That could be part of it. But one of his arguments was that people learn to accept um, the situation, like things were going to blow up. I've, I've heard this like I, you know, more recently from uh, friends who grew up in Israel or who visit Israel a lot because there's a lot of like... You know, if you grew up in the last couple of decades in Israel, you've you've witnessed something, you know, something that blew up or something. And like there is a, it's not that everyone in Israel is traumatized. It's like they almost have like a, an acceptance or an awareness of like what life is. And I've heard this from many people who've been to Israel or lived in Israel, like um, they have an appreciation for life an appreciation for the moment and like an acceptance of like, you know, life stresses don't bother them because they know how precious life is. And they kind of are aware that, you know, a terrorist attack or a war, I mean, whatever, something can happen that that uh, takes your friends away or something, right? It doesn't cause PTSD necessarily, right? Um, the people who have PTSD more are the killers um, because there's something about, um, actually this is kind of a different topic, but this is important to, to recognize that just because something negative happens doesn't happen. Actually, I would argue that one of the reasons why the victims of London bombings or situations like that aren't recorded to having PTSD is because of this collective reality thing. They're not experiencing it in isolation. If you're the only person in the world that experiences a certain thing, it, it's terrifying and it can, it can like, uh, it, it um, separates you from the collective consciousness, which is why when we talk about sexual traumas, that's, that's the thing. Like a, a lot of times when someone experiences a sexual trauma as a child, especially when they're a child and they're very plastic and they experience a thing and like a person wasn't there to protect them or a person wasn't there to understand what they're going through or, or anything like that, it can be so damaging to the psyche because like here you are alone. It's like in the Goosebumps tale, you're the only person that experiences the monster. No one else sees the monster. Like you're all in it by yourself. It's one of the worst experiences uh, for anyone to have. Um, which is why talking about your feelings is so important. Um, whereas, uh, and actually, another thing, I I had a client a long time ago, and I, I'm not making a, a comment on either way on sexual traumas. I'm not. I don't want to make light of anything. I certainly don't. That's why I'm, I should bring this up. But he was um, he was a man. When we were he was an adult when we were speaking. But he said when he was younger, he lived in another country. Um, he had a, a male babysitter who did sexual things with him. We would call it molestation. And um, obviously, when he talked about this in a coaching session, I was like, well, is, you know, is this a thing that you're traumatized from? You've had emotional patterns. And, you know, obviously, I can't be in his head. I can only know as much as he's shared with me. But he was saying that, like, 
he, he didn't feel like he was traumatized at all because even though it wasn't an experience he wanted, he, for whatever reason, even as a child, he could recognize, oh, his babysitter was in a lot of pain. His babysitter was lonely. He didn't really want to do the thing with the babysitter, but um, he was able to empathize with him and not feel like it was bad and he just didn't do it again. And, and I'm not saying that this is good nor bad. I'm just saying that y your emotional patterns are a response to the stimulus. It's not a stimulus happening to you. And I think I'm only bringing this up because how you respond to a situation, there is some choice. And even if it's something like you have to run back and redo the situation, um, uh, there is an opportunity for, like, just because something bad happens to you or because a parent said no to you or something more egregious and terrible happened to you doesn't mean you have to be stuck in this situation by yourself. Uh, one thing is taking initiative and, and reclaiming. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to like get hung up on sexual traumas, but a lot of, uh, some of the therapy methods for people who are victims of sexual trauma are somehow reliving the situation in a way that you can reclaim your power, whether it's mentally or in some extremes. I'm not saying I'm pro this, but it's like in, in BDSM therapy, sometimes they will recreate the situation, giving the victim the opportunity to make active choices and, and reclaim their, their worth because a lot of what gets us stuck in certain things is feeling like we don't have control. Whether it's a major thing like your relationships with the opposite sex or, or like with people in power or just like a, or a more minor thing like every time you're close to something you want, you self-sabotage. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't say that's minor, but a different type of situation, um, there are different uh, ways to respond. So make sure I didn't miss anything. Shapes, ants, doing it together, empathy, feeling it with people. And uh, yeah, so just to recap the two things that allow someone to that helps someone reshape their patterns is actively going to the situation. Because it's something I spoke about uh, a few episodes ago about realm of control and finding your life purpose. There are many things that are outside of our control. Like, um, I'll speak from a basic thing in my life. Like, someone with social, when I had a lot of social anxiety, I would mean to speak, but like, I just didn't have control of my body. Like, I would want to be social. I want to say hello, but I'd have like, I'd have a pattern where I would like always shut down and not, it just wasn't in my control. But there's always something in your control. And I was actually speaking to this, uh, I speak to some guy a while ago about like, he was like, I, I, I've done like these approaching workshops and I've had dating coaches, but like, I just can't get myself to say hello to someone when I see them. And I told him, okay, that might be out of your control. You might not, I mean, there's some involuntary part of you, like you can't like necessarily, like, if, you, if it was easy to control every aspect of your behavior, no one would need personal development, like right? you just decide on something would happen. But um, there's this, like when I was learning this stuff and I was trying to, you know, um, get myself to do things, I, I might have told this story on the podcast before, but I remember I went to this bar call once, it was called the Nautical Mile in, in Long Island. Uh, it's like a literal mile of bars along the beach. And I went there, I decided I was gonna, I was gonna talk to everybody, I was gonna be super social, I'd invest the time and money in this stuff, and I, for whatever reason, I just couldn't get a single word out. And I walked the entire mile one way, and the entire mile back, and I didn't, I wasn't able to, like, it was beyond my realm of control for some reason to speak to anyone, but I did everything that was, what, that was within my control, which was basically stay out and walk for two hours. And I know looking back that that was something that, it's like, um, you fill out everything within your control and eventually your realm of control increases. Um, so 
applies to, to this situation as well. And then the last principle is feeling it with people. Like the thing that makes it so hard, like when, whenever people get stuck, it's almost always they have this experience of being the only person in this reality. Like I'm all in this by myself and I can't, I can't do anything else. Like I'm just, I'm in it by myself. Like I'm on an island by myself. Like that's the emotional experience many of us have. And it's, um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just like a terrible, it's like a spiritual malady. It's, it's, it's the most terrible feeling someone can have emotionally. Whereas being able to open it up, finding someone that's safe to empathize with can allow them to feel it with you. And sometimes it could just be simply telling a story. If they can feel it with you, you can kind of, you can, your psyche can recognize that you are still part of the greater whole. You are still part of the world. You're not an isolated person. You're not the only person who sees the monster. And very often that's all our inner child needs to resync and eventually become the rhombus that you're meant to be. All right, and that's it. Uh, announcements again, uh, Christina Berkeley, episode 075 is coming out on Wednesday. If you're interested in being a coach, I highly recommend listening to it. Uh, my members area archive is available for free if you go to my website, rwando.com, and put in your email. And the archetype class, of course, is still available at rwando.com slash archetype 21-day uh, missions and challenge on helping you access the parts of yourself that are pre-environmental conditioning, your archetypal expression, your genuine individuated self. I think it's awesome. It's there. And um, yeah, I'll see you guys next week. Peace.